this process, although so, so brutal and heartbreaking, has made me, I think, it's given me a lot of advantages of understanding mm-hmm. patience and that there's like a human and there's a story behind everyone and they're a daughter, they're a son, they're a mom, they're a dad, they're a sister, they're a brother, right? Like there's there there's more to them than their disease or their sickness or illness. So I think that's been a big learning curve for me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Connecting ALS. I am Jeremy Holden, joined, as always, by my co-host, Jessica Chapman. Jessica, how are you this week? Doing really good this week, Jeremy. How are you? Doing good. You know, we are approaching the unofficial end of summer. Of course, uh, our smart listeners out there know that summer doesn't actually end until later in the month of September. Uh, But as we approach Labor Day weekend, my mind reflects to to back-to-school time of year. Now, Jessica, did you look forward to getting back to the classroom back when you were a student? I really did, actually. Um, That excitement would last for about a week, and then I would realize that I'm back in school. (laughs) Yeah, seeing old friends, getting back into a routine, and uh, looking forward to cooler weather. And of course, that means for many students across the country, it is a return to campus. And uh, Jessica, not a better time that I can think of to look at the Jane Kalma's ALS Scholarship Fund. Oh, absolutely. This is such a great program. And I know we've talked about it before on this podcast, but just as a reminder to folks at home who may not be aware, the ALS Association is able to operate what's called the Jane Calmez ALS Scholarship Fund. And that was established by Mark Calmez. He was a board of trustee member for the organization, as well as a board member for the St. Louis Regional Chapter. Now, Mark unfortunately lost Jane to ALS back in 2017, and he wanted to honor her legacy and her love of education. So he established this fund to provide a $5,000 scholarship for one school year to students who wish to attend college or vocational school. And these students typically would not actually be able to pursue their dreams of higher education because they have been financially devastated by ALS. As many of our listeners know, it is a financially devastating disease. So over the years, this fund has grown, and thanks to the incredible generosity of not only Mark, but also so many other supporters who see the value in this program, we've awarded more than a million dollars in scholarships to qualifying students. And in fact, this year alone, we're sending 100 scholarships to qualifying students. It's just incredibly exciting. Yeah, it is. It's it's incredible. And we've had the great fortune over the last uh, year of doing this podcast to to hear from students. And I know, Jessica, you hear directly from students uh, once they get notified with their their notes of thanks and appreciation. It's, It's so meaningful to be able to read those. And of course, this year, we were able to sit down with two of the recipients of the Jane Calma's ALS Scholarship Fund. Yeah, we were. We had the chance to chat with two young ladies, Emma and Allie, who each respectively shared their experience with ALS, how it's impacted them and their families, and how the scholarship fund is going to benefit them. So, Jeremy, with that, I think it's time to hear from Emma and Allie. I can't wait. Well, Emma, thanks so much for being with us this afternoon. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on. Uh, you know, the Columbus Scholarship Program is one that we're always excited to talk about and, and hear how, the impact that it has. Uh, but for listeners at home, let's just start with your connection to this community and just talk to us a little bit about who you are and your connection to ALS. Yeah, so I am a granddaughter of 
a woman named Eileen Thompson, who was diagnosed with ALS just a couple years ago in March of 2018. And my story kind of begins there. My grandma is a huge, was a huge part of my life and continues to influence it in all the directions that I go. But basically started showing a lot of symptoms in her everyday life whether that was getting nails done or whatever it was, there were a lot of weird things happening in her life that were obviously not normal, right? Like sure, losing function of your hands and arms and not having that go away after years of therapy and just seeing that progression. So she eventually went and got some tests done, had a couple carpal tunnel surgeries, those didn't work. Right. Um, and so eventually got some questions answered, was asked to, you know, join a doctor's meeting, which obviously didn't go super great. You never hear great news when the whole family's asked to join on in, but yeah, so that's kind of where it started her diagnosis. And after that initial testing was done, and that's really where we jumped right on in the ALS ice bucket challenge was like maybe a year, two years before that, or I forget exactly when we did it um, and donated to that community. And we're like, Oh, that's, that's what we donated to. Okay. Like, right. (laughs) I, I do remember that a little bit in the back of my head, no idea what it was for, but now I'm learning. Right. So yeah, that's basically my personal connection is my grandma. Yeah. Thank you, Emma. And you know, you you made a point there that kind of leads me to my next question. You know, so many people don't know about ALS. They're they're not aware of this disease. We we estimate about 60% of, of folks don't aren't aware of ALS itself. So to that point, what is something that you would like to share with folks who may not necessarily be very familiar with the disease? Obviously, many of our listeners are very, are very deeply ingrained in this, in this disease itself, but what are some things that you would share? Like I said, I had no idea. My family really didn't know. I think the most that we kind of knew about it was the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge and like a Steve Gleason movie that came out, which I like saw the trailer for and I had no idea what what the disease was at all. And I just wish people were more familiar with it. It was so frustrating to go to doctor's appointments and have like OTs and physical therapists be like, oh, well, try this solution. Like, right. you know, like this, this will work. And it was really hard to be like, yes, that works right now but that won't work in two weeks. Like you're not understanding the problem and the issue. And it wasn't their fault. Like it was just a lack of understanding and, but it was so discouraging and we felt so defeated appointment after appointment, just being like, this is such a waste of our time. And we eventually found an ALS clinic in Spokane and it was a game changer. The, Mm. Uh, nurses and doctors were so specific to our needs and delivered. And that was incredible. And 
if we felt like heard and understood, which because ALS is so rare, like nobody got it. (laughs) So that was so relieving. It was a breath of fresh air. So that was incredible. And I also think not just, you know, especially in the medical field, I wish people were more aware of it. I remember the week before my grandma passed away, she was having a lot of issues with breathing and, you know, that's how it goes. And she rode in an ambulance and they put her on a CPAP machine and gave her oxygen, not understanding that, you know, there's, there's no issue with her getting oxygen, just there's an issue with her breathing. She can't, you know, the diaphragm, every, like you guys know this so well, you know, her muscles aren't working. She needs, she needs a BiPAP machine. A CPAP isn't going to do anything to help her. Anyone who knows ALS would be like, oh yeah, duh. Right. Like that's a no brainer. So like those things, it's hard to trust in these like medical professionals who like don't know just like the simplest things about this is really frustrating. And it kind of like makes this disease and people with the disease feel so undervalued and unimportant and not seen. So I think those are really fresh. That was frustrating for my family and me and especially Mm -hmm. my grandma. She coded on the way to the hospital, just like they had her laying down, which you're like, don't do that. Like all of these things that you're like, no, 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 just happened. And so that's, that's really frustrating and that there's just like no kind of general understanding about this disease. So that's, that's hard. And I also think like, because there is no cure for the disease, it's terminal. It's so important to catch it as early as you can. So you can get the meds like, like Rylazole or whatever's out there to slow the progression. Like it's so important. And yet, and looking back on it now, we could have gotten her help like a year, two years before and slowed that progression way down. And we, we didn't even know the symptoms. We didn't know the signs and it was pretty blatantly obvious. So I just think a general understanding about the disease or just some of like the symptoms is something that I wish people knew about for the sake of their loved ones and getting them help early and just in the medical field to support patients. I think that's so important. Yeah. Uh, well said. Um, you know, it, it occurs to me as you're laying out all of the things that you wish some of the medical professionals that your family was interacting with, and you have such a, a clarity and a depth of understanding about things and, and you're learning about this and you're, you're, you're dealing with this while you're, you're, you're a teenager. Talk to me a little bit about just the impact that had on, on your life. Yeah, it was huge. My family's pretty small. Um, we're all in Spokane, so which is great, but my family was the primary support system for my grandma and my grandpa. And that was a huge, huge weight and a huge responsibility, especially for my parents. My dad took on all the financial responsibility, all everything. Like they couldn't do anything anymore. They can't support themselves. And 
my grandma took care of my grandpa and now she can't take care of herself or him. So it, it was just a lot for our family because initially before we moved them into assisted living, we took care of them. So we drive to their house every weekend and bring them meals for the whole week. So my mom and I would meal prep like kitchen disaster, right? Every week, yeah. <laughs> just a complete <laughs> mess. There's, you know, we took care of cleaning. We took care of the yard. We took care all these things that just it, it added up and we were more than happy to do it. And, but it was, it was, it was a big stressor in our lives to so just having to miss out on so much to make sure that we were there because there was no one else doing that for her or for them. And so that was a big thing in our lives for a really long time. We took them to all their doctor's appointments, visits. So we were their primary care and it was a lot. So that, that part was pretty big. Um, it was pretty isolating because no one knows about it, right. um, especially people at my age or just they've never really gone through this kind of intimate process of not just being like, yeah. oh, like this is happening and watching it, but being so involved, just no one really, I couldn't really connect with anyone about that. So I, that was hard. Just ALS is a beast of a disease. And I remember like being asked so many times, Oh, how, how's your grandma doing? Like with great intentions, mm. great intentions, right? Sure. Is she any better? Like how? And I'm like, no, no, she's not better. Still not better. Still dying. Right. Still, yeah. still getting worse. But like, I appreciate you asking, but just, I don't. So that, that part was hard. And but, and I was so close with my grandma, like growing up, she, I saw her almost every day. She'd come over after work and come hang out. And I remember my mom being like, Oh, grandma's here again. Like, this is going to be about a three hour visit. <laughs> Just mark this in the calendar. Um, <laughs> and what we would do to like get that back right now is just, we'd give anything. So it was devastating and it's still a grieving process that I'm going through. And I don't think that has subsided at all. Right. And yeah, the, I think that there's not a lot of people who are understanding that like, it's still hard for me to talk about and not get emotional about, and maybe a lack of patience and just being like, I'm still figuring it out. I'm still grieving. And, um, of yeah. And so that, that part is hard to talk about. And I want to share her story because it's so important, but yeah, it, it didn't go quickly. It didn't, didn't just like, Oh, sweep it under the rug. So I talk about it a lot and it's very relevant still in my life. And I don't pe think people like understand why. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. No, that, Emma, that's, that's well put. You know, it's not only losing um, someone that you love so dear and that was such a big influence on your life, but also losing them in a really horrific way. Uh, you put it well, ALS is a beast of a disease. And, you know, just noting that you had to grow up so fast, right, when this occurred and had to sacrifice a lot of things that you should have been doing, you know, in your teenage years. And then, of course, doing it, and to your point, in an isolating way. So um, thank you for sharing that and for being vulnerable with us today. Uh, I, I do want to switch gears a little bit, maybe um, a little bit more of a, a lighter topic. Can you tell us about um, where you're studying and, um, and where, you're, where you're going to university and what you're studying? 
Yeah. So I will be attending Whitworth University. It's a college here in Spokane. So just a stone throw away from my house and we'll be studying nursing. So I'm so, so ecstatic about it. I was totally influenced by this whole process. I was going to ask. Who's that? Yeah. Yeah. So initially I want to be a physician. I just love medicine and love the human body and think it's so fascinating, but I had a firsthand look at just the way medical professionals interact with patients and nurses are so hands-on and I was really drawn to that. And so that's why I ended up deciding to pursue a bachelor in the science of nursing. So I'm so, so excited and so pleased that that's the direction that I'm heading. That'll be also a way that you can advocate for for better awareness and better education of medical professionals. You'll be able to get in there and, you know, firsthand and can share that with everybody. Totally, totally. It's this process, although so, so brutal and heartbreaking has made me, I think it's given me a lot of advantages of understanding Mm -hmm. patients and that there's like a human and there's a story behind everyone and they're a daughter, they're a son, they're a mom, they're a dad, they're a sister, they're a brother, right? Like there's, there's more to them than their disease or their sickness or illness. So I think that's been a big learning curve for me. It's overwhelming and inspiring to hear you say that you have advantages coming out of this, as you said, beast of a disease. It just, it's, awe-inspiring to hear you say that and and to, to hear how it's moved you into a, a vocational direction as you as you move into the next phase of life. Can you talk a little bit about your reaction when you learned that you're a recipient of the college scholarship and, and the impact that that's going to have on you, you know, over the next couple of years and, and going forward in life? When we got the email, my mom just completely broke down in tears. I was crying. We were just so, so ecstatic. It's just a game changer for my family and for my future and what I'm going to be able to do going outside of college. Like, it's just so mind boggling. So I'm so honored and grateful for the scholarship. Like with COVID, my family's business was shut down. My college tuition was just right out the window (laughs) that we'd been saving. Mm -hmm. And um, like the assisted living bill is really big. It's about 15 grand a month. So all that, just like this, it was just such a, the break that I really needed. So I was just so grateful and honored to thank you. You know, we we talk often about the different burdens, all of the burdens that are part of an ALS diagnosis. And, you know, you allude to it, the, the financial burden is is one of the many. So it's important not to let that, uh, let that mm-hmm. you know, go, un, go unmentioned, of course. So Emma, tell us a little bit about yourself outside of what you're studying. And of course, you know, the you know, the journey that you've had to go through. would love to hear a little bit about what you, um, what you enjoy doing, what brings you joy in your day-to-day life. Yeah. Um, I am about everything outdoors. I love to be outside. So I think where I find a lot of my joy in the summer, I love to go wake surfing and take hikes and go hammocking and all, all the outdoors things in the winter. I ski all the time when I can, I love to be outside. I think that there's something so beautiful about nature and I'm 
can take a breath. <laughs> I feel like I also swim competitively. So I'll be swimming at Whitworth for the swim team. So oh, wow. Excited. Yeah, it'll be really, it'll be really fun. I'm not sure for how long with the nursing clinical hours. Don't exactly. It's not a great combo, but I will for sure be doing it at least my first year. So I can't wait to meet the team and get to get into a groove with them. So that'll be fun. What's your specialty in the pool? I mainly do backstroke. So the 100 and 200 backstroke, and then I'll do probably the 2IM as well. So it'll, it'll be cool. I hate breaststroke, so I don't ever have to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Just the 200 IM as well. No big deal, right? Oh, yeah, I'll be That's fun. impressive. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I've been swimming club here in Spokane for 13 years. So I've been doing it a long, long time. <laughs> well, that's great. That's great. Well, mm -hmm. those are all the questions that we had. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to share before we kind of close things out and let you go about uh, get out, get outdoors and do some fun stuff? Well, I just want to say thank you and thank you for your time and support and help. And I'm just very grateful for the opportunity to be an ALS advocate and hopefully educate some people as well. So thank you so much. Well, I'm happy to have you on the team and, and as part of the fight. And it was great uh, being able to spend this time with you today. So thank you again for your time and I uh, look forward to seeing all the great things you do in the future. Oh, thank you. Allie, thanks so much for being with us this morning. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. It's it's one of the um, highlights for, I think, for so many people in the association and, and for us here at Connecting ALS to talk to the folks who are recipients of the Jane Kalmas ALS Scholarship Award, that fund established to help college and vocational students who have been impacted by ALS pursue their education. So with that in mind, can you introduce yourself to listeners and talk to us a little bit about your connection with ALS? Yeah, my name is Allie, and I'm uh, going to be a senior at the University of Iowa studying psychology. And my connection with ALS started in 2015 when my dad was diagnosed, and I wasn't really sure what it was. You know, in the process of kind of looking up everything and what it was, everything seemed to go by so fast. He only lived for eight months past his diagnosis, and he passed away in April 2016. Um, at that point, I still wasn't even sure what it was, but I got involved with the ALS Association after that and started volunteering. Through them, I was matched with a patient and started doing in-home care for him. And when I started that, you know, he was able to walk and stuff, and I still do in-home care. So to see that progress over the two years that my dad didn't have, I've become even more familiar with it, but it was really my dad's diagnosis that gave me that introduction to what it even was. Allie, thank you for sharing that. So, you know, it's been estimated that about 60% of people still don't know what ALS is. And so with your connection with your father and then the patient that you've um, had the, the fortune to be able to partner with and support, can you tell us what you wish other people knew about the disease who may not know about it? Yeah, so one thing which I think anyone that has a connection to ALS can agree with is it doesn't just impact the person diagnosed, it impacts everyone they know from their family, like who they're working with, their friends. I have two younger sisters and 
at the time I was 16, one was 14 and one was five. And for me being the oldest to not even understand what it is, it's hard to get that across to my younger sisters. So just the amount that's unknown, you know, trying to Google a diagnosis like this and seeing that someone's going to die from it, but we can't really tell you what it is. That's really hard. So that just adds to the burden of it. And along with the large unknown aspect of ALS, you have, it is a neurological disease. And so you have, my dad developed dementia with that. And so that is the symptoms of those can be so similar. I feel like a lot of ALS diagnoses are missed or misdiagnosed. And so that can cause confusion. And it's really hard when it does mask a lot of other things. The diagnosed process of my dad's ALS. He had to go through so many tests, rule out all this stuff before they said, all right, well, I think it's ALS. And so that just added, you know, that itself was probably as long as he lived with ALS. So just the amount of unknown to it and the lack of funding, it adds even more burden to the families that are affected by it. Ali, you mentioned you were 16 when your father was diagnosed, two, two younger sisters. One of the things that children uh, who have been who have been impacted by ALS, particularly with with parent with their parents, have talked about the struggles of talking to their peer group and explaining what's going on. It's I was a teenager once. It's not always easy to share the personal aspects of your story, but can you talk a little bit about the support you had from your peer groups or how you navigated telling your friends and your peers what was going on in, in your family? Yeah, so at my dad was diagnosed before the first day of my sophomore year of high school. So going into that school year, it was hard to focus. And I think my peers could see that. And so trying to explain to them in the process of me trying to explain to myself what's going on, they didn't quite understand, but I didn't expect them to because I didn't. And before long, like I was missing school a lot to go get lunch with my dad. And I think they kind of understood why I was missing school, but just, oh, her dad's sick. It could be anything, you know? And then I missed a week of school when he passed away and they all knew that he had passed away without me actually saying anything. But once you lose a parent at that age, you kind of get put in this group of, oh, you lost a parent. I mean, I remember being younger and having those kids that lost parents and they, it didn't matter how, but they were put in this like unsaid group and that's, you can talk to them and stuff about that, but it's really hard to, you know, you're also besides trying to process that you're young, trying to process how, you know, you're 16, you're going to graduate high school in two years. What are you going to do after that? all this stuff. So you can talk to people eventually, but everyone has different things going on. And I feel like friend wise, I didn't really have that connection to talk to. And I couldn't, there wasn't really a peer group for kids because not that many kids specifically of parents that have passed away from ALS right. in one area that you can talk to. Yeah. No, that make, it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, indeed. And, and Allie, just listening to you, you know, you, just seem to have a wisdom that I think only comes from going through something like this. And 
that kind of leads me into my next question. You, you noted that you're studying psychology right now. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired you to go down that path? Yeah, so I, once my dad passed away, I got really into Googling and watching TED Talks and, um, you know, just doing my own research to the point where I wasn't even focusing on other stuff, the stuff I probably should have been focusing on. And I was learning just even outside of ALS, how psychology just impacts everything. So um, how people think, why they do what they do. I'm really interested in judgment and decision-making and the lab I'm working in on campus is regarding how people make medical decisions and health decisions. So, you know, you have that aspect, you have the actual neurological aspect of diseases like ALS and the child psychology is really interesting. And that's something with my now 13 year old sister that I've seen her grow up without our dad. And it kind of, it can all connect so many different areas that that's kind of what got me into it. And I can do a lot of things with it. I can go do research. I can go advocate for children. And I think that's really what I trying to advocate for children since I was in that position. Uh, a lot of people that have ALS, their children could be grown because my dad was in his forties, but not a lot of young kids have a parent that has that since it, it's very rare for someone that, that young to get it. So that's, that's really what interested me. And that's what's keeping me going as I'm going through school too. I learn more stuff about I'm like, yeah, this is why I was, this is why I want to study psychology and stuff that I want to look more into, you know? It sounds like you found a very rewarding path, answer some of the questions that you have, you know, again, a testament to your thoughtfulness of others and your, your wanting to, your desire to help and to be part of that. It's very, very inspiring. I want to pivot a little bit um, and, and kind of get into some of the fun aspects of life. Um, what do you do when you're not in school, when you're not tending to others? I like to try to have a life outside of school and work. I volunteer at the ALS Association probably once a week or so. But other than that, I do. So I just finished an internship that was really fun at Collins Aerospace. And that was in human resources. So we were, you know, processing employee issues. And um, that, that gave me a whole different aspect of psychology. I like to get involved on campus. I did best buddies for a little bit, dance marathon, that stuff. And of course, I like to go out with my friends, you know, in Iowa City downtown. It's like the mini Chicago, like really small. It's, you know, that's a stretch. But um, okay. <laughs> I like to go out with my friends. Um, and I have my cats, so I have my two, I like to say children at home that I attend to, but I am hoping when COVID and stuff settles down, I can travel more. I used to go to Arizona and Florida a lot, so I'm hoping I can do that some more. I think we're all hoping for uh, COVID to calm down even more than it has. So uh, you you have some uh, kindred spirits, I'm sure, listening in at home, and, and, and certainly the rest of us on this call are, are right with you on that. Yeah. So Ali, you know, as you're looking towards the future, you're in your last year of school, of university right now. How do you anticipate the Jane Calmez ALS Scholarship Fund impacting your future? So I think these organizations, just in general, I have provided so much to me. I remember applying for colleges and 
I didn't even know if I could afford to go. So when I was applying, you know, you have the deadline. So I have to apply, pay $40 to apply. I'm not even sure if I can afford to go. And then you get in and you have to pay your tuition before you can even start. I remember getting that first U bill and I was like, wow, $5,000 just through before December. And then my dorm, another 5,000 for that semester. Uh, it's, very daunting as I've been on my own since I was 16. I have medical bills and insurance, phone bills, car bills, everything that you don't really think about. And then for that, it's, you kind of look at, okay, what can I cut off? I can't cut off health insurance. I can't, you know, I have to pay rent. So it school was in question at that point. I could take time off, but I wasn't sure if I'd go back if I started working a part-time job. So once I get an email saying like the Jane Calmus scholarship saying that I got that and that's an entire semester of college for me, you know, that provides that immediate immediate financial relief for school. I know I can go to school and you go to school to learn and take in that information meet friends and stuff. But when you have to worry about how you're going to pay for the class you're sitting in, that you can't focus and you can't retain that information. And you're, you're not going to school for what you're supposed to go to school for. So that financial relief lets me go to school and learn, take it in. And then beyond just school, when I graduate and I'm actually learning, you know, what you would hope you do when you get a degree, you graduate and you can use that knowledge to go do research or get involved and help others. Whereas if I, you know, couldn't finish school or in any other sense, because the financial burden became too much, these scholarships really provide more beyond just a college degree because it allows me to go help other people. And the last thing about these scholarships beyond the financial uh, lifting that financial burden is there are so many times I feel like when you go through life adversities such as losing a parent or even having a parent still living with ALS that you start to kind of doubt yourself and that has been an issue with me throughout school is can I really do this is it worth it um, when I feel like I don't have people to talk to you kind of get in your head and having these people pick you and say, I believe in you and I'm going to give you this money because I know that you can finish school and I know that you can contribute to this greater, you know, community that in any times I'm doubting myself, these organizations and the Jane Thomas Scholarship Fund gave me that motivation and kind of pushed me. And that's what I think about if I'm doubting myself. You mentioned using this opportunity, what you're studying as an opportunity to, to kind of go out and continue helping people. And it, it made me think about the, the the caregiver community within the ALS community. That's something that we, we talk about frequently. And you, you know, you're someone who continues to serve as a caregiver for someone living with ALS. Can you talk to us a little bit about what it means to be a caregiver? So the caregiver aspect, I feel like one, you know, you can go physically provide in-home care, cook, clean, do that stuff. The other aspect, you can go volunteer at ALS walks and stuff. I do that every year. And that can be providing to families that have groups. The other aspect is I have my two younger sisters 
just trying to provide support for them. So stuff my dad would do, you know, my sister's going to learn how to drive a car next year, which is super scary. But um, my <laughs> dad helped me learn how to drive a car. So that is being a caregiver for my sister in replacement of my dad. There's so, right. you know, using the degree, there's so many, it goes so much farther than just physical caregiving of ALS patients. Wow, that's insightful. Well, Allie, I think those are all the questions we had for you. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to share with listeners before we let you go? I can't think of anything. I just, I'm so thankful for this, the Jane Colmes Scholarship Fund and what they provided for me and so many other people. My sister this year actually got it too. She'll be a sophomore. And I think a lot of things that I've said have reflected. And so just I like knowing someone else that they've impacted and I'm super thankful and I know other people are and for all the people that they've given, it'll go beyond their college experience and help them a lot. And so I am just very grateful for them. Thank you, Allie. We're really grateful for you to come on today and, and share your story. It's incredibly beautiful and it's very moving and just really appreciate your time and your insight. As Jeremy said, you were, were a pleasure to talk with. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much, Emma and Allie, for sharing your personal experience. It was really beautiful to hear and a little heartbreaking too at times, but you ladies, young ladies are both very inspirational and I'm so grateful we got to talk to you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Jessica. Just really inspiring stories to hear from them and really looking forward to see what they do in their respective careers and uh, looking forward to the uh, Jane Calma's ALS Scholarship Fund continuing to help more people down the road. Uh, We will share in the show notes opportunities for folks to uh, support that program and to learn more about the recipients of the Jane Calma's ALS Scholarship Fund. That is going to do it for this week's episode. Connecting ALS is produced by Garrett Tiedemann of the ALS Association's Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota chapter. You can find Connecting ALS wherever you listen to podcasts and while you do, please find opportunities to rate and review us. It is a great way to connect with even more people. Thanks for tuning in. We'll connect with you again soon.